I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work, coronavirus edition. So using my time at home to interview people. Uh, so today I have Daniel Holt, probably the most super fan, Kamigawa super fan in all of R&D. So uh, hello, Daniel. Hello. Okay, so Daniel, Daniel was on the vision design team, the set design team, the vision design team for Commander, the set design team for Commander, the exploratory world building team, the world building team, uh, the art review for the main set and booster fun, and as always, he works on the UX, the frames and symbols. So, like, you did all of that, okay? So, let, let's talk a little bit about your, your love of Kamigawa. Yeah, so it all started back when I started Magic. You know, I started playing back in 2004 with the original Champions of Kamigawa block. I think I got one draft of uh, Fifth Dawn and Emirative before it rotated, and then it was all Kamigawa all the time. And, you know, uh, when you're a teenager, you can't just continue to get new product every weekend. So me and my friends would just hang out all the time and just use the cards we had on hand. And it was all champions of Kamigawa block. So we would just rebuild decks and play those. Okay. So what is your early, so when the set started, it wasn't even Kamigawa yet. So when you first got involved, it was for sure Japanese world, but not yet Kamigawa. So what, what got you, what got you involved in the first place? It wasn't even necessarily Kamigawa. Yeah, so um, I've been pitching Kamigawa since the day I walked into the building. You know, <laughs> our creative leads definitely got tired of me requesting that over and over. But we were in one meeting where we had the whole uh, for this set, and they didn't know what they wanted there. And I pitched Kamigawa because it fit what we wanted. We wanted a bright, colorful world coming out of um, Innistrad and going into uh, Streets of Nicopena. And it didn't really take off. You know, they said... Eh, we'll we'll think about Kamigawa, but let's let's explore another trope we've been wanting to test out, which is what you just said, the Japanese-inspired uh, futuristic world. Uh, and then it eventually became Kamigawa because we didn't want to eat into Kamigawa's creative space if we chose that instead of a return to. So one of the things that's really interesting is there are a lot of people, like when I talk to different people, like for example, I came into this, my blog really hammered into me that there was an audience for Kamigawa and mm-hmm. I know, like, I I was looking out for, like, okay, how could this be Kamigawa? Um, and I know that a lot of a lot of different people were all like, could we make this Kamigawa? Like, it's it's funny that behind the scenes, all these people were like, could this be Kamigawa? And then, um, so talk a little bit about um, stuff you, like, how did you help push it toward Kamigawa? Yeah, um, the 1,200-year gap really helped. You know, uh, it, <laughs> canonically, it's been 1,200 years. It can kind of be whatever uh, we need it to be. And... You know, we we set the we set the tone of the set to be that tradition versus modernity, and there was even that kind of split in the building. You know, a lot of world building uh, folks wanted to push it more, uh, more tech, more cyber. Where um, you know, super fans like me were like, "Oh, I still want, I still want to make sure this is Kamigawa. I need my Kitsune, my Mizumi, and things like that." And I think we hit a hit a nice blend there when we did push it. You know, we got the callbacks in the set that made it feel like Kamigawa. The setting is still Kamigawa, but it's it's a more modern era. And so everything just kind of fit into place. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, how you, I mean, you being all of us, but the, the, how, how we got <laughs> as much Kamigawa into the set as possible. Because I know you were a main driver of, of making the Kamigawa content as high as possible. So... Let's walk through sort of how you did that. So what are some of the things that that were done? Yeah, um, flavor. Let's start with flavor. Uh, A lot of the characters are dead. It's been 1,200 years. Uh, A lot of the mortals you know just aren't here anymore. Um, 
so we got to lean on, you know, the Kami are immortal to a certain degree. So they're still here. You know, we got to do the dragon cycle. We got um, some Yojin callbacks. Kiyodai is still around. But then once we made sagas, I think that really let us be like, oh, we can tell the stories of the past through the voices of today. And so the living historians are running around telling the stories of the past so that fans still get to hear about Toshiro Mazawa, about Machiko Kanda, <laughs> Kikijiki Mirabreaker is still in there. Um, you know, just fan favorites all over. And we, in regards to the mechanics, um, we did explore, you know, bringing back a lot of them. Uh, the first day of set design, uh, once you handed it off to Dave, I sat everybody down and we drafted Champions of Kamigawa. I wanted to kind of set the tone for set design. And, you know, we got to bring back things like Ninjutsu and Channel, whereas the other abilities didn't really fit, but we, we, we made some callbacks. Um, you know, Discover the Impossible is a love letter to um, uh, the unspeakable because I couldn't get the whole set in the cycle. Uh, the original unspeakable being cast these three arcane spells and summon the unspeakable. Yeah, the unspeakable gets referenced in a card. Like one of the things that's really interesting is uh, how much we managed to reference. That, like not everything even was around anymore, but we can make references to things, and there were a lot of of references to different cards, and th I think that was really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, flavoring the sagas was one of my favorite things you know we did all the research in early world building where you know i read the 21 short stories we had available the all three novels and i just had a list of things i wanted to like shove in there and every time dave would make a new saga i'd be like okay this could be this flavor let's tweak it a little so it fits things like that so what was your favorite saga which saga are you like proudest of what story are you proudest of getting getting in there oh man and you could have more than one answer. Doesn't have to be one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's any of the big names. I think Toshiro Umezawa being one of my favorite characters from the set, uh, him and Michiko Kanda. Um, so getting them sagas was pretty, like, early on we got them, you know, okay, so Azusa let, and Kiki Jiki. Yeah, so let me so One of them is Life of Toshiro Umezawa, um, who's the main character, the main character of the original Champions block. So it's uh, a saga, one in a black. Um Choose one. So chapter one and two is choose one. Tiger creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Tiger creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. You gain two life. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, chapter three <laughs> is exile this saga, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. Uh, and then on the back side, memory of T Toshira. It's a two, three. Enchantment creature, human samurai. Tap, pay one life, add black mana. Spend this mana only to cast an instant or sorcery spell. So let's talk about how, how this brought to life Toshira Umizawa. Well, the front abilities may seem a little familiar from a, a card in the past that is a direct uh, reference to Toshiro's uh, Jite, Umezawa's Jite. Um, I wish I was the one to say, let's put that on a card, but I'm pretty sure Ethan Flesher beat me to it and put it on there in the early card file. It's, it just made sense, and it stuck since uh, the day we put it on there. And then it flips into actual Toshiro's uh, likeness. And my only request when we were designing that was that we make it work with uh, the actual Toshiro Umezawa card, which is all about casting um, instants from your graveyard. So the fact that it taps to add black and does that. And also we, made, also a two -two. <laughs> uh, we made it so all the, the backside of all of them are enchantment creatures because that plays into the, the theme of our set of enchantments versus artifacts and stuff. Um, so what was the other yeah. one you said? What was the other saga you said? Uh, Michiko Kanda. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, where is it? The Fall of Lord Kanda? Oh, that's actually one of my favorites. If we want okay, to so the Fall of Lord Kanda is two and a white. It's a saga, Chem and Saga. 
Uh, chapter one, exile target creature and opponent controls with value, mana value four or greater. Chapter two, each player gains control of all permanents they own. Chapter three, exile the saga, the return of the battlefield transformed under your control. And then on the backside, it's fragment of Conda, one and a three, enchantment creature, human noble, defender, when fragment of Conda dies, draw a card. Okay, yeah, so, so let's talk a little bit about Conda. <laughs> This is uh, this is the end of the the novels. Um, Kanda's punished for what he did, where he stole uh, Kiyodai from the spirit realm and just caused a lot of trouble for Kamigawa. So the first one is it exiles him. Uh, he was put into stone, and we made sure that this first ability hit the original Kanda, which is a seven seam, or seven mana value creature. Uh, and then the second one shows Kiyodai, second chapter shows Kiyodai being returned, you know, set free, you gain control of everything that was taken. And then it flips over, and he's in his rock form, and he, he does get smashed at the end of the story. Uh, and that's what happens. You smash him, and you draw your card. Yeah, I should point out, by the way, something kind of clever that uh, the original champions did is the the main protagonist of it was a black character, uh, you know, in Magic Colors, and the main antagonist was a white character. So, like, Normally, a lot of people think of, like, white is good and black is evil, but we sort of put it on his head and kind of, like, the good guy was the black character and the bad guy was kind of the white character. I mean, though, once again, kind of had his reasons for doing what he did. I mean, he, he, thought, yeah. he, he thought he was doing good. Obviously, he was, caused lots of problems, but... And, you know, in the same way, Tashiro was kind of out for himself still. He was still yeah. very <laughs> selfish <laughs> in ways. Okay, so was, was there a third saga? You, I, I think I went to the wrong side. Was the third saga you were referencing? Um, yeah, we can talk about Machiko's, uh, the Reign of Machiko, Reign of Truth. Oh, hold on, Reign of <laughs> I forget the actual name of it. Uh, Reign of Truth. Oh, Machiko's Reign of Truth. So one in a white, Chairman Saga. Chapter 1 and Chapter 2, target creature gets plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. Chapter 3, Exile the Saga, then return it to the battlefield, transformed under your control. The backside is Portrait of Machiko, enchantment creature, human noble. Uh, Portrait of Machiko gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control, and it's a zero, zero creature, so essentially it's it's power tough is equal to artifacts and enchantments. So what's going on here? So this actually points to um, one of the mechanic or one of the things you teased in your uh, article about an unnamed mechanic. Uh, this one... It was called balance in a lot of our testing, and it cares about having both artifacts and enchantments. It's kind of being that centerpiece of the war of tech versus tradition. And Machiko is the becomes the emperor at the end of the story after her uh, father Kondo's uh, death, and she's hoping with Kiyodai to help restore balance to the world. And that's kind of what this card is doing. You know, she's she's in, she's influencing with her reign, and then tells the story of her becoming uh, a symbol of balance. Well, that's cool. I mean, one of the things that's neat is literally every saga in this set is telling, like, all of them are referencing something from the original, mm-hmm. um, from the original Champions block, and so that's kind of cool. Like, one of the things that's really interesting for me, and sort of my 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 behind the scenes uh, ploy to get us to Kamigawa was that the neat thing about new versus old is old means something if if old's a, it actually is old, right? That we could have made a world where the, there's a new and there's an old, and we just make up the old. But that doesn't mm-hmm. have the same oomph of no, no. Literally twenty years ago, there these things in real magic time happened. Uh, you know, and I think that is that's why the the uh, it's a lot of fun for me to sort of 
like we get to sort of look back much like they, the people of the world, look back. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, compare it to Kaldheim, where it's cool to get those deep, insightful lores of the sagas there. But it was our first time on Kaldheim. It's like everybody was learning about that lore for the first time. You come to Neo, uh, Neon Dynasty and pick up a saga. You may just know the story because you played 18 years ago, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so other than the sagas, let's talk about some other ways we, you, we all of us, imbued the <laughs> set with, with Kama, more Kamigawa. Oh man! So all the all the like favorite creature types, like I mentioned earlier, are back. You know, they're the Kitsune Moonfolk. Uh, well, let's, right let's, let's go one at a time. Let's go one at a time. So let's start oh, with the Kitsune. Oh, okay. Kitsune. Let's talk Kitsune. Kitsune are back. Um, Light Paws is one of the main characters uh, at the Imperial uh, capital, working with uh, the Emperor and originally Kaito. Um, I actually found out from the art director Zach Stella that he commissioned this as a callback to Eight and a Half Tells. Which all Kitsune have tells, but uh, he specifically wanted the kind of look of the card to be a reference to that. Eight and a half tells being a popular Fox commander from original Kamigawa. So another fun thing, um, one of the things that we were always... So there were two parts of the set going on at once. So today we're talking a lot about sort of the ancient set. We're looking at the look back, the Kamigawa references. Meanwhile, we were also... The other half of the set was doing something we hadn't done last time we were there. When we when um, Brady Dominic and the creative team did the original uh, champions, they really went into sort of Japanese mythology, Shinto, and a lot of like real world things, but things that were maybe not really well known by people outside of Japan um, or people who are fans of Japanese mythology. Um, so one of the things we did in this set is we really take a look at um, pop culture, like. Japan has a lot of very popular pop culture that the rest of the world has seen. And so one of the things we also looked at is were there fun opportunities to make make cool references? So like as we talk the uh, the Katsune, um, you know, like the, what, what, where, where is it? It's, uh, um, what's the, pi oh, a hotshot mechanic, right? <laughs> you know, or, yeah. you know, the fact that we can do fox pilots. In fact, there's a couple fox pilots, Katsune Ace. Um, like, uh, that, that's something that just is making sort of subtle references to something that, that is a popular thing. And there's a lot of that is in the set too. So it was fun to find where we could take existing Kamigawa stuff and cross it with sort of cool references. So that, that also happens as well. Right. It just still feels natural because it's, you know, flavored as Kamigawa. Okay. So we talk as soon who we want to talk next? Uh, let's do the Moonfolk. Okay. So. Let's go in Weberg order. Okay. Let's talk Moonfolk. So, uh. What? So the, the Moon Folk were. So here's a challenge to the Moon Folk. Uh, in the original Kamigawa, in fact, this was true of most of the creatures, is we did a lot of um, one for one mechanics. So, for example, um, all the the samurai had Bushido, all the ninja had ninjutsu, all the Moon Folk had a. You bounce land to your hand to, you know, generate effects. Uh, you know, the, the the snakes all locked you down. Like, there was a lot of one-for-one -one tying of mechanics. And uh, I'll let people in on a secret. Not great design. Uh, it's very hard when <laughs> everything of something has to do the same mechanical thing. It is very, very hard to... to I mean, you can do it a little bit, and if certain mechanics allow you to do it easier. Um, the Moonfolk mechanic was not an easy mechanic to replicate. I think we did do one in the set. Um, so... Yeah, I, I specifically requested this. It's uh, Tameshi Reality Architect. Um, 
I designed this legend to play well with the oh, moon let, folk. Let, let, um, let, me, let me read that real quick so they know what it is. Oh, yep, go okay, ahead. Tamishi Re Reality Architect, two and a blue, legendary creature, Moonfolk Wizard, so two, three. Whenever one or more non-creature permanents are returned to hand, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. X and white, return a land you control to owner's hand, return target artifact or enchantment card with mana value extra less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. Yep. Okay, go ahead. So the first ability is what was what I really pitched. Um, I was like, hey, let's get something that triggers when you return lands to your hand. But originally it was just anything. Like, let's make a, a balance commander, basically. So it also would work with ninjutsu. Um, I was just trying to get a, a good slot in the set. And Dave's like, no, that's interesting enough on its own. Let's make a let's make the cool second ability that goes with the first and still plays well with the moonfolk. So now it is just non-creature permanence, uh, but still works with the original moonfolk. And yeah, the moonfolk were interesting in that a lot of the creature types, like we had them in the set, but they they were uh, we picked the animal they were closest to. So you know. Um, fox or rat or snake or whatever um but moonfolk mm -hmm. we actually made a creature type like moonfolk is its own creature type because i guess we like felt they weren't close <laughs> enough to something like we didn't call them I mean, they, yeah they weren't quite rabbits so we didn't call them rabbit um that's fair but yeah it, it is i know that it's funny when i went to the so when we i knew we were doing the set but the audience didn't know this yet um on my blog People ask questions all the time, so I always, I'm constantly asking questions. Mm -hmm. So the audience doesn't necessarily know what I'm asking and I care versus when I'm just curious. Um, so I actually asked, what if we did Kamigawa, because Return to Kamigawa was a big theme on my blog, uh, what's the <laughs> most important thing to come back? And the number one answer by actually a decent margin was the, the races, the specific races. Yep. Um, okay, so we talked Moonfolk. So let's go to Black. The Nizumi. Yep. What do you want to talk about here? There's a lot of good ones, you know. Um, we have we finally see Nashi on a card. Um, let's talk about him. Okay, let's talk. About, oh, hold on. Let, let me read. Let me read Nashi's card. Okay, Nashi well, Moon Sage. Nashi, Nashi Moon Sage's Scion. One black black legendary creature. Rat Ninja three two. Uh, ninjutsu for three and a black. Whenever Nashi Moon Sage's Scion deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of each player's library. Until the end of turn, you may play one of those cards. If you cast a spell this way, pay life equal to the mana value rather than paying its mana cost. Okay, so who's Nashi? Why, why is he here? So we actually met Nashi on in a Aether Revolt story where a Johnny goes to visit Tamiyo. And we find out Nashi is this adopted uh, Nazumi son of Tamiyo because Nashi's village was uh, destroyed by Tezzeret. Um, and his parents were killed. And it's, it's really tragic. But she takes him in, uh, raises him as her own, and uh, there's just a, a loving connection there. And so we wanted to give him a character. And he actually played a much larger role in the story, uh, the original story pitch. Um, I think he did a lot of what Kaito was uh, doing in the final story. But we realized canonically he was just a little too young for that. I think, <laughs> I think he's uh, around like 12 or so. And <laughs> a little dangerous uh, endeavor Kaito gets in. So uh, we shifted the character focus there. Okay, so uh, we get to red. Red was the Aki. The Aki, yeah. Okay. Our, our, go let's our talk goblins. About my favorite card in the set. Yeah, Goro Goro. Okay, so let, let's let's talk Goro Goro. Give me a second. Um, okay, so Goro Goro, dis disciple of Rusai. 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 Uh, one and a red, two two, legendary creature, goblin samurai. 
Uh, red, red activation. Creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. Uh, three red, red activation. Create a 5-5 five, five red dragon spirit creature token with flying. Activate only if you control an attacking modified creature. And equipment auras you control with counters or modifications. Yeah, um, this little guy I <laughs> pitched was uh, a disciple of Risei. This is before we knew that the dragons were going to be reborn. So in my head, Ryusei was still here. Uh, he makes a 5-5 five, five to mimic Ryusei. Uh, and then we found out they were being reborn, and I was like, can we actually keep this? Like, it's actually really funny if this goblin is still worshipping a dragon that isn't around anymore. And so Creative really rolled with it, and they made um, they made him <laughs> follow at Sushi, the new red, uh, new reborn red dragon, still uh, singing worship to Ryusei, and at Sushi just tolerates him because at Sushi gets enough things of value as a uh, tribute to them. Okay, so the the last creature type, uh, the, the most controversial one here, we'll talk about it, um, is the <laughs> snake folk. So uh, let's talk about the Orochi. Yeah. Um... So okay, first of all, let, let me explain what, what the the controversy was. Um, so the in the original version of Champions of Gaul Block, uh, the Orochi had six appendages, two of which were legs, um, and there was a lot of. Uh, when we first talked about going back, it was the one race that we were, we were talking about maybe having died off because the snake with legs was not very popular um, within the you know, world-building team. And we eventually decided to come back and we, well, okay, they lost their legs. I'm not even sure the, the explanation of the story, but it's 1,200 years later and somehow they evolved. Um, do you, yeah, do, there, do, there do you know? A, there's a saga for that. Oh, what's the, what's the saga for that? Uh, teachings of the Kirin. Teachings. Uh, well, you pull that up. Okay. Um, the, there was a there was a, dis, a decision that had to be made about if the Orochi were returning or not. I was certainly on the side fighting for them to return because you know some people just love them as a favorite creature type. But because of the artistic choices, we just didn't know. We didn't even know going into concept push. Um, the art director was trying to lean another way, and we we were testing both at the same time. Uh, eventually, we decided, hey, let's just cosmetically change them a little. They evolved over time, uh, like you're about to read in the saga, and they did stick. But Another creature type that came out of it was the uh, Nantuko Orchid uh, Mantis uh, creature. There's, It's one card in the set. Zach Stella loved it so much that he put it on the uh, rare ninja card. Okay, so Teachings of the Kirin, one in a green. Uh, chapter one, uh, this is Enchantment Saga. Chapter one, mill three cards, create a one-one colorless spirit creature token. Chapter two, put a plus-one, plus-one counter on target creature you control. Chapter three, exile the saga, the turn of the battlefield transformed under your control. And then it's Kirin touched Orochi, uh, enchantment creature, snake monk, 1-1. One, one. When, whenever Kirin touched Orochi attacks, choose one. Exile target creature card from a graveyard. When you do, create a 1-1 one, one colorless spirit creature token. Or exile target non-creature card from a graveyard. When you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So what, what story is being told here? Okay, this is a weird saga. It's actually a mesh of two. Uh, there's an original story about the five monocolor Kirin. They're having a meeting, and they talk about how they, how they interfere with mortal lives. They're just all telling these like ghost stories almost around the campfire of, oh, I did this before to the mortal, and ha ha ha. Um, so they're they're really like inner. They they meddle a lot. So the first side is making the spirit, and then it meddles with something. But then the back side is actually an opportunity we took to tell the story of how a Kirin. Uh, and the spirits touched the Orochi because the Orochi were um, kicked from the Jukai forest just like everyone else when uh, Tawashi was spread, the city was spreading so much uh, and the spirits were angry. But 
the Orochi started losing their powers and to get a connection back to the forest and to their magic, they were like, hey, we'll, we'll offer anything you want, all this stuff. And the, the spirits didn't really believe them, so they tested. They're like, hey, give us your arms and your legs. And they're like, oh, take everything. We don't care. And they're like, oh, you really want this? And I'm, I'm summarizing really quick, obviously. Uh, but they eventually just gave them this new form of uh, the, the long tail, but they still have their arms. And now they're more connected to the forest like they once were. So uh, I, I can see my desk from here. So we're, we're wrapping up. So I want to get to a, a few final stories before we finish. So yeah. um, is there any other like thing from Kamigawa that you had to make sure happen in this set that you did? Oh, man, we covered a lot of it. Uh, I think it just had to it had to feel like Kamigawa. You know, every card has to be like, OK, I know what setting I'm on. Uh, I I care about this. The story ended up so much cooler than I expected when I was proofreading that, you know, Grace Fong and Emily Tang led a lot of efforts there. Um, the callbacks is really what, what had to do it. You know, it's been 1,200 years. That That's my final answer. We had to get references to the original characters that people knew from 18 years ago in our time, but 1,200 years ago in canon. That I'm glad we hit a nice solution for that with the sagas. Yeah, like I said, it was one of the big challenges was 1,200 years later. Like, I remember we sat in a meeting, we're like, who would still be alive? Like, what possible, you know, like, okay, the, you know, it's magic. So they're magical creatures and some last for some time. But uh, 1,200 years is a long time. So, you know, and then we even said, okay, are there ancestors? Or, you know, like, how, how do we yeah. make reference to it? And then we had done this before on our, in Dominaria, right? When we had gone to Dominaria, Dominaria has a long history in magic, just you know, as well, and so we did a lot of callbacks in Dominaria, and so uh, I think we learned some techniques there. We applied here, and then right, we uh, we had some new technology that we applied as well to try to get it. And um, but it's funny, I think we sagas were designed in uh, in Dominaria because we knew we needed to talk about the past, and then it ended up being the same tool we needed to tell about the past. So yeah. Um, okay, so. One one last story I want to talk about here, since uh, this is a controversial story, uh, is Tamio. So let's talk a yes. little bit about. So, so the interesting thing, and I've I mentioned this before, is we knew that Tamio was going to be completed like super early. Like I, I think before, like we knew it was Kamigawa, we knew she's going to get completed, right? Um, it was pretty early on. It might have come shortly. I don't know which one actually came first. Man, that that's probably been the hardest secret about. Like, it's been hard to keep Kamigawa coming back bottled up. Like in my social media with my friend circles, it's been real hard. But then, like knowing also Tamio is going to be completed, like just on top of it. Yeah. So my my memory is, um, I'm pretty sure we knew that before I started uh, vision design. Like I I believe that was a known mm -hmm. thing. Like when we started vision design, my big thing at the time was. Okay, let's decide later whether it's Kamigawa. Let's just make an awesome Japanese-inspired set, and then we'll come back to the question: Is it Kamigawa? Um, but I, going in, I, we knew—I I believe we knew—is is Tamio. Um, I think we. Yeah. There's a point where we re-examined it, like, oh, does it have to be Tamio? And looked at other options. Um, but it turned out like the other options were like Tezzeret makes no sense, and you know, um, like we just introduced uh, Kato, so he's a brand right. new character, and. The, and Wanderer. And the Wanderer. And the Wanderer, we just had this giant reveal already for the Wanderer. So, like, two big reveals didn't make sense. And so, like, it just, none yeah. of the other, like, we, it, and the other big thing about it is, uh, in, as, from a storytelling standpoint, is, like, 
look, this was a big moment. We needed the audience to care. We needed it to be something that was endemic to this world. Like, it felt weird to bring a character that had nothing to do with Kamigawa and then change that character. That, like, it, that didn't feel right. So, um... And remember what I was saying earlier? Uh, Nashi was originally one of the main characters involved with the story. It was so much more gut-wrenching for Nashi to be there when Tamiyo gets captured and completed. Like, that was one of the original story pitches. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> Yeah, the th I think it's interesting is, right, we we had pitched early on, um, we liked the, we, we'd wanted to find a home for a ninja planeswalker, something, I mean, for, ye for mm -hmm. years it'd been on our, like, could we possibly find a place to do this? And then, like, well, if we're going back to Kamigawa, like, yeah, that seems like the, pl the place to do it, so I'm happy that finally happened. Um, yeah. So any last thoughts? We're, we're wrapping up here. Any final thoughts about Kamigawa as, as or Neon Dynasty as, as a set? Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we finally got to go back. This was such a huge passion project, you know, slaving over it for t two years, two, three years. I still feel like it's not out the door, even though it's releasing in a week or two. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad we have a new modern Kamigawa to reference for in the future. Like maybe it won't be 18 years before we go back again. Maybe in supplemental products, we get some more nods to it a little more frequently than we got things like Okagachi and Yuriko and those side products. It's just, it's more accessible now that we've uh, spent the time to visualize what it looks like in modern day. Yeah, and one of the things for the, I, I get asked this in the audience a lot right now, which is, um, I've constantly said how hard it was to go back to Kamigawa just because the first one didn't do well. And they're like, well, if this one does well, does that make it easier to go back? And like 100% it makes it easier to go back, <laughs> you know, like... Whenever I, when I'm going to the higher ups and pitching something like Kamigawa, like they look at the last Kamigawa. But if this one's successful, we just put, we, we pointed this one and they go, okay. So uh, success breeds repetition, as I like to say. So it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, the fans' reaction is probably my favorite part. It's so heartwarming to see everyone loving the set, new and old. They love the throwbacks, they love all the new stuff they're seeing. It's just, it's really nice to see this work finally paying off. Yeah, I got a, a tweet a couple days ago, or maybe it was on my blog, maybe it was a post on my blog, and the person said, look, I'll be honest, I hated the old Kamigawa, I had no interest in coming back to Kamigawa, I was upset when you you said we were going to make Kamigawa, but now that I've seen the set, I love it. <laughs> so, I'm, 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 the, the, the fan response has been awesome, and so that's that's great. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I'm not even as big a Kamigawa fan as you, but uh, it, it is exciting to see the fans all excited, and like I said, yeah. this was the number one request on my blog. So it is it is nice to be able to finally, like, after years and years of saying it'll never happen. I mean, I, I for years said, guys, it's never going to happen. Uh, and then I had to keep saying it's never going to happen since I knew it was going to happen. But I, I had to continue as not to change my, my story. So uh, We can't leak it anymore. That's probably the best part. That's the biggest relief. Yeah, it, 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 by the way, when you when something big happens and you want to tell people what you can and you have to wait for two years before you can tell people, um, I mean, I, this has been my life forever, so I'm used to it. But it, yeah, it right. is so it is so nice when you can finally tell people. Love. So like I like I, I always get excited the night before a big release when we're finally telling people something. Just, I'm, I'm so excited to see the audience reaction to it. So um, and I'm sure like the day before we announced Kamigawa, you were you were just waiting to waiting to see. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, I am at my desk. So we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I want to thank you for being with us, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me. And for all of you, I will see you next time. Bye-bye.